0: Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the helping spirits to be with us here today. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those people who came before us, who lived well and died well, who met the challenges of their own time and through that learned to be better humans. I call out to these ancestors to gather around us here today and to help us, help us the living to meet the challenges of our time. I ask these ancestors to gather close, to whisper in our ear, to be the hand at our back, and at times even to push us when we hesitate to go forward in the way we know we truly need to go forward in this time. So I call out to these ancestors to gather around us and to help us to do what the living are called to do by the very needs of their time. And I call out to those non-human ancestors, those beings here on this earth that were here long before anyone ever dreamt up a human. And I call out to these ancestors in non-human form to help us to remember the deep and abiding important things in life, those things that will go with us when we die. May we tend those things well with our life. And I call out to these non-human ancestors to help us to remember our own true nature and how to fit better in as part of the great web of life. And as these ancestors in their many forms gather around us here today to help us, let us gather ourselves. And to collect our energy from wherever it might be and draw it into our head and draw it from our head to our heart and from our heart down into our belly. And from our belly, let us reach down to the earth and to touch the earth itself and to take a moment to stop thinking about all the other things and focus our energy just to give gratitude to the earth, to give thanks for this day. Thanks for our life. Thanks for the wonder and the beauty and the great diversity in life. Thanks for all of the challenges along the path that will allow us to become the men and the women that we have come here to be. We give thanks for the beauty of this journey and the generosity in this dreaming that we can change anything as long as we are still breathing. We give great, great gratitude to the earth for life itself. And with that gratitude pouring out from our heart, let us extend our energy down, down, down through all the layers of the earth, reaching deeply into the very center of the earth. And we take a moment there to connect to the very center of the earth. We connect to the darkness, the stillness, the silence, to this energy that is before it becomes all the things that, is on the fa- that are on the face of the earth. We call out to this energy that is before abundance. That is, before the diversity, that energy which is nutritive and replenishing and refreshing, nourishing to us. We connect into this energy and reach into it and draw it up, up through all the layers of the earth into our lives, that we may feel renewed and restored, replenished by this energy. And with the energy of the earth, let us feel our connection to the earth and to learn how to be grounded, And from our sense of groundedness, get a sense of place, a sense of where we stand and what we stand for in life. And from this, let us build a sense of home and hearth and belonging. And let us do this in a way that is open to those who are different than we are, who look different and think differently, who have different customs and different ways. And may we invite them wholeheartedly to our table. May we feed them. Offer them drink and learn from them and let their very differences provoke us into becoming who we are truly destined to be. And from this place, a sense of place and hearth and home, let us reach out into deeper connection with ourself. All the different aspects of ourself, greater connection with our environment and with others, greater connection with the invisible world. And may we be blessed in this day to feel the oneness of all things, even if just for a moment. But may we connect out through the connection and interconnection and this great web of life and know our place in it and take right relationship for ourself from our place in this great web of life, right relationship with others, right relationship with our environment and the spirit world. And as these energies come together here in our body, let us draw the earth energy up from the belly to the heart and the heart to the mind. And let us rise with that earth energy up and out through the sky. And the beautiful day that it holds, whatever that beauty might be, out through the atmosphere and all the way out into the cosmos. Let us reach up and out into the heavens and all the wonders and mysteries of our universe. All the way past all the heavenly bodies to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy, name it. Know it in your heart. And know you in its, know yourself in its heart. And as we connect with this energy above, let us draw down into our day, into ourselves, into these proceedings, the energy of blessing, the deep essence energy of blessing, the energy of protection, the energy of commitment and devotion, the great benevolence of the universe. And let us draw in all the wisdom of the cosmos and the beneficence of this life. We call this energy in that we might be inspired and illuminated. We draw it into our head and our heart and down into our belly. And from our belly, we send it all the way into the center of the earth. And in this way, we, the humans, become this place that heaven and earth come together. Earth and sky, yin and yang, these energies come together within us, these two great legendary lovers. And it is from their love, from that big love, that this experience of form takes shape around us and gives us this life that we so enjoy. And may that big love awaken the spirit of our own hearts. And may our hearts awaken and open to be the crucible of transformation that they are. May we call up the fiery passions of the belly that carry within the very heart of them why we are here call down the crystal clarity of the mind to help us understand how we might do this in our own time and may these energies come together in the heart to mix and merge and dance there in the heart to give birth to this third and most sacred thing this understanding or feeling or sense of why we are here and may you find in your heart in that ever so human heart the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring that true reason that you are here into manifestation, to bring your gifts to the world in some way, large or small. And we give great gratitude to all the spirit energy around us that helps us to do this in every day. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I also want to give thanks and great gratitude to those of you that helped me to do this, to continue to do this now in yet another year as we begin a new year in 2015. I thank Rich and Colette and Belle and Jose and Karim, Lorna, Mary, Julie, Swati, Carolyn, Wendy and Christina and all the listeners who've been able to donate financially to the show. If this is the first time listening, the show is listener supported and I am able to keep the show on the air and pay the bills that are required to do that because you all are willing in your own generosity to donate because the show moves you in some way. It is valuable in your life in some way, even if it moves you to distraction and irritation and frustration, you have been moved and when you are moved in the heart, the, the core of shamanic action in the world is to let what moves you in the heart motivate your actions in the world. And so I ask you to do this most shamanic of actions, to do something, if you are moved by the show, to support the show. And if you are not able to donate financially, know there are many ways to support the show. The most important way is taking the teachings, the ideas, buying the books, doing whatever it is that is offered on the show and putting it into practice in your life and seeing what happens. Wrestle with it. See if you can break it. Um, Send emails back to me with your questions, with your new show ideas. These are the ways that these ideas grow and take their rightful place in the world. And I thank you all who are already doing that. And um encourage those of you who have not quite had the courage to do that yet, to step forward in this year and bring this into your life in some way and let me know how it goes. For those of you that want to donate to the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click the support button, donate any amount you want, large or small. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And for those of you that can't donate financially, you know there are many ways to help something to grow in our interconnected uh, social media kind of world and do those things you know how to do share the show and help these things to grow as I said to take their rightful presence in their time on the planet so I thank you all and I thank Co-Creator Network for continuing now many many years into it to support us and so for those of you that don't know if you're joining us just now there are over 300 hours of archives in the Why Shamanism um, dot com site. You can download them from iTunes. You can also get them at cocreatornetwork.com. And they're all free uh, to anyone who can get themselves onto the internet. So thank you all for helping me to make that real. So today, um, I wanted very much to start the year talking about co-creating. We've been talking about this one way or another for a couple years now. But I wanted to start uh, in particular talking about co-creation, this very first show of the new year. And so I invited um, onto the show my guest, Elida Birch, who's a longtime colleague and friend. And she has recently finished a beautiful book called um, The Co-Creation Handbook. So, Elida, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Christina. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us here today. So, for those of you that don't know Elida, since those of us out here in Oregon kind of keep our head down, um, <laughs> so no one will bother us and let us do what we think we're supposed to be doing. Um, a very Oregonian joke sorry everyone anyway um, Elida is a visionary author a respected very respected shamanic healer and a leader of the Eugene Oregon shamanic community she's helped thousands of people around the globe recover from trauma move forward in their lives and find gentle practical methods to reco- uh, reconnect to the spirit world in the past 20 years she's um, initiated over 500 people in her apprenticeship programs during which she facilitates a yearly vision quest for her students in the mountains of Waldo Lake Wilderness area Back in 1991, she founded Hearth of the Dancing Drum Healing and Drumming Circles to foster a more sustainable spiritual culture. She's an organic gardener and sometimes beekeeper, and she's living at Birch Grove Hearth, um, five acres near um, Eugene, Oregon, uh, with two Siberian cats and her husband, Reed Hart, who is also a shamanic practitioner. Um, Of good, uh, well respected in our area. Elida is the author of the Co-Creation Handbook, A Shamanic Guide to Manifesting a Better World and a More Joyful Life. And it is available now through all of your favorite bookstores and I always like to give a plug for Powell's here in Oregon. So if you would like to, we are not live today, however Elida and I are happy to entertain your questions. So if you'd like to contact her um, or buy the book uh, through her you can go to alida birch.com so that's a-l-i-d-a alida birch like the tree b-i-r-c-h alida birch.com you can also email her with questions at birch.alida at gmail.com all right so thank you for joining me here today as i said uh, in beginning the show we had a big uh solstice ritual process at the end of last year and um i very much wanted to start talking about co-creating now that you've cleared all this out of the way how do you co-create the life you were merely meant to live and to da you know <laughs> your book arrived <laughs> um and uh, perfectly right on cue and um the thing is though with the show sometimes people are joining for the first time listeners come to the show from many places in life many places on the planet many places on their path with their shamanic practice some at the beginning some quite experienced and one of the big challenges and common questions that that moves as you know working with people is how do i know you know how do how, how do i know i'm this is really a message for me to go this direction or not and so what i like to do with guests is to start with the simple question which is simple but not always easy to answer which is just what was the pivotal moment for you when you really realized that you that was the moment that you shifted on to a shamanic path i mean not it we don't always recognize it in the moment we're doing it um but you know wh- when was that that not just the, oh, I've always talked to trees since I was a kid, you know, (laughs) not that, Uh, because of course all kids talk to trees, but more that moment for you when things really kind of swung around and you realize looking back, wow, that's really when it all changed.
1: Well, I'm one of those people that you just referred to that doesn't always realize what's happening in the moment. I'm very good at not really seeing to the the core of it until I back up and get some perspective. And for me, it was back in, um, I was a mechanical engineer working in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and it was in the mid-80s, and I just realized how empty my life felt, and I was really starting to yearn for something deeper, and I had no idea what that was, I knew what I didn't want, which was the more traditional religious path that I had been brought up with. And I signed up for a community college class on the Progoff Journal method. And um, one of the hoping that I'd meet some people in this little town that I could um, resonate to. And one of the assignments in the class was that she had us write a story without thinking. Like she gave us five minutes to write a story. And as I heard this assignment I thought, oh, how can I ever write a story in five minutes? But I was absolutely amazed when she said, start, my pen just took off across the page and I think I wrote five pages in five minutes and the other students were looking at me going, wow, what's, <laughs> what's she <doing?" laughs> and what she ha- does? What, I wrote a story which when I looked back, maybe five or ten years later, I realized it was all about soul retrieval. <laughs> it was a story about a woman in backpacking in the Zion National Park, and how um, an eagle had come to her when she stopped for a drink of water and seemed to be beckoning her. And so she followed. And it got pretty scary because she was going over cliffs and um, steep embankments. And at one point she said, no, I can't do this. This is too strange. And then a key dropped on the path that she heard. She picked up the key, and the eagle looked at her again, and she felt the vibration of the key and then was pulled forward to, um, to a, a, a stone wall and as she looked at it she realized that there was an opening for the key to go in and she turned that with a great deal of difficulty and then the door opened and she heard all these little tiny voices hmm. and all these little children started to spill out of the doorway and they, they said to her we thought you'd never come mm-hmm. Thank you for rescuing us and. I, at the time I wrote this i didn't know anything about soul retrieval, but as now that I do and I look back at that story, I can see that it was really a portent of um, working shamanically and working to restore vital life force to people yeah so that was one of the things that happened um, and then, as the teacher in that class invited me to join her in a new in a group that met at the new and the full moon a women's group which was quite radical back in those times especially in Wisconsin (laughs) Um, and uh, I did I was very excited and we would meditate and do um, goddess ritual but that didn't quite feel like my path and then suddenly someone was passing around a flyer um, for a workshop and I'll just back up here a little bit because I forgot a piece I, I had suddenly, several months before that, started to hear a drum in my head, and mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard of anyone using a drum other for the band or the orchestra, um, so I was really curious about that, and it just kept beating in my head in a very steady beat, and would, would always be in the background. And on... So this flyer came around our group, and in the text of the flyer it says, the drum is the heartbeat of the earth. And I thought, oh my goodness, I have to go to this workshop. I don't know what it's about, but I have to go. And I did. Um, I sent my money in, and and this was always, this, this little piece here I think is very interesting. I sent my money in, and a couple weeks went by, and the workshop was about to happen in a week or two, and I hadn't heard anything. So I called up the organizer, and I said, I sent my money, and I haven't heard what to do. And he said, I never got your payment, oh, no. And I, I, I stood in my kitchen, and I, and I, was, I said something I never say. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was me saying it. I said to him, I'm supposed to be there. And he just said immediately, Then we'll make room for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my first exposure to shamanism. That was the way of the shaman workshop, um, the shamanic journey, where I met Sandra Ingerman, bless her heart. Mm-hmm. And even though I was at the um, getting all this wonderful training in shamanism, there was still a part of me that hung back and said, This stuff is. You know, a little bit strange. I don't know if I, I don't think I really believe it. Maybe I'm talking to my subconscious because mm-hmm. I was also trained as a social worker and I had this very logical linear mind from engineering. So it took me quite a while to recognize that I was getting information in my journeys that I couldn't access in a, in a, what we call the
0: linear world. hmm well, Elida, this is actually kind of probably the root of what I really like about your book in particular about co-creation, which is I was about halfway through I thought, you know what? What I really love about this book is that Elida has actually engineered this. Like it's, it's the, this whole dynamic, which there's a tricky piece in co-creation, which is about what is mine to do. And what is mine to ask for help doing? It, it, it was like that whole that gets messed up so often in books, and so often the deep spiritual principles are just put out there, like all you have to do is believe this and talk to your crystal, and it'll all be fine. And and there's no real understanding of what we need to do and what we need to stop doing, you know. And that, and and I read through the book and I thought this: the beauty is the interface between the shamanism and your engineering mind. <laughs> and it's so clear and so grounded in this is how this can work for anybody so yeah yeah, so that's one of my actually i'm just thinking about that the way that cross-disciplinary perspectives often create a level of clarity that gets lost if you're just listening to spiritual people talk about spiritual things you know eventually you start going there's no rubber meeting the road here people
1: right, <laughs> you know? right. and I am very much a rubber meets the road person I'm so practical I, I just have to know how to put things into action um, and we really are never taught to navigate in life right. that was one of the things I struggled with so much when I was growing up well into my 30s, how to choose what I want to do, how to Mm -hmm. choose a profession, how to to make things happen, and how to focus and create something, and how to believe in myself. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, this brings me to where I would like to start with the book, which is the co-creation handbook begins with four principles. So let's talk about why those four principles are so important.
1: Okay. So the first principle is that happiness is a choice. And the reason that happiness is important in the manifestation process is because, well, I'll start with the Emerald Tablet. The Emerald Tablet is an ancient piece of writing that came down. It was purportedly, but really it doesn't matter who, <laughs> but purportedly put together by Hermes. Trimagestus, who was a combination of the god Hermes and Thoth, um, the Egyptian god. And the Herm- and the Emerald Tablet says, as below, so above, and as above, so below. With this knowledge alone, you may work miracles. So there's a piece in here that tells us that we are a reflection of the divine. We are co-creators now the divine is the primary creator and I'm not trying to dethrone the divine and say we're equal to that but we have within each of us a spark of the divine that allows us to be a co-creator in partnership with the divine and then you probably also heard um, an additional phrase that has been added on which is as within without so what that speaks to me about is that what we create internally is also reflected in our external environment and um, if we send out anger into our world that's what will be reflected back to us and um, so if If we create happiness within ourselves, then happiness will be reflected back to us. It's like a mirror, and the reflection might be very subtle, but it is definitely there. So we know that we can create by what we become within ourselves, we can also create that in our external environment. And um, so by becoming what we want to see manifest in the world, we can make a difference in the world as well.
0: And let me just jump in here because this particular principle that happiness is a fundamental choice is one of the five things most human beings regret at death, is not having realized that before they died. Oh. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is actually, I think it's frankly a really big deal. <laughs> anyway so often we are we are
1: we think that we are at the whim of how happiness is created in our life that we are not in control of it but the important point to remember is that the one thing we are in control of is our emotions and emotions um emotions can go one way or the other but choosing how we feel and choosing happiness is definitely within everyone's scope. Even if things are going very poorly in our external life, we can still choose happiness. And I have an example in the book about um, perspective, um, and it has to do with, the, of all things, shoes, that um, there are th- I, I identify three people who are happy with their shoes. One woman has these wonderful stilettos. You know, they probably cost her $500. They're perfect, and she's very happy with them. So that creates happiness for her. You can be very mundane here. And then the other one is a a young man who lives in the ghetto, and he's got a pair of Nikes that are all beat up, but he loves them because they're Nikes. So he's happy with his Nikes. And then the other one is a man who lives perhaps in an um, undeveloped nation and very poor um, in terms of money. And he just has a little piece of cardboard that he has tied on with strings to his feet. And he looks at those shoes and he is happy. So happiness doesn't necessarily rely on what is actually happening, happening in our environment. Happiness is how we perceive things. So we can choose how to perceive our environment. We can choose to focus on what is working, rather than what is not working. And when we focus on what is not, what is working, we give it power to 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 build and intensify.
0: So then, the next uh, principle is being in the flow of manifestation brings you joy. Right. So, what makes this one important?
1: Well, this is about. Being in touch with what feels right internally. Um, So not manifesting from the ego. The ego uh, is more focused on avoiding um, problems, Uh, more focused on the fear state. It's uh, the ego, I I say the ego is a well-intended illusion of mother nature. Because it's always scanning for what is wrong, and so our ego has developed from a place of fear. In a very good, I mean, very good intention, it's kept us alive. It's kept us um, functioning, but it tends to look at what is not working, what is wrong, what is what do I have to be concerned about? But when we look at the flow of manifestation, what we're trying to identify is that inner sense of where we need to be and what we want to be doing with our lives and getting a sense of how to move forward with that.
0: And so then the next one is how you uh, respond is your choice. Right. Right.
1: Um, and that, I think I, I, I talked a little bit about that already. I jumped ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, emotions. And rather than letting emotions control us, it's important that we choose how to react to our emotions. But so it's almost like our body is hardwired for these emotions. We all know that. But we are but our response to them is can be very choiceful and we can make a choice about whether we're going to get on that roller coaster ride again. And we all know people who are like that, who Mm -hmm. their their life is one roller coaster ride after another and they're exhausting to be around. And if we can step back and get some perspective on what our emotions are asking of us and... um, not be so involved in the moment of the feeling, but step back and see, well, where is this taking me and how do I want to, what is my body trying to tell me and how can I react in a way that supports what, where I'm going and what I want
0: to accomplish. And so then the fourth one is choose to be the predominant creative force in your life. Yeah. And so what makes this one important?
1: Well... <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite one, I think. Um, when we choose to be the predominant creative force in our lives, we, we bring it to ourselves as the, the being that is responsible for everything about our lives. And we choose what is most important to us. And I talk about fundamental choice that there are those things in our lives that are so important that they are the beacon that we draw to that um, gives us meaning and purpose. So a fundamental choice can be something like, I make the choice to be happy. I make the choice to be in touch with my true purpose. Um, I make the choice to be healthy. Those are all examples of fundamental choices. And the reason fundamental choices are important is because the rest, everything else falls out from that. They all line up. So that when we feel that we want to do something that is not in alignment with our fundamental choice, perhaps we want to do something that's not healthy, we can go back and say, well, what really, what are my choices? What are my fundamental choices and does this urge to do something that's not healthy line up with that? And if it doesn't, it's much easier not to do it, to choose instead to be true to yourself. Because
0: if we don't understand what our fundamental choices are, then all, when we treat all these choices as if they're all equal and right. end up going willy-nilly. <laughs> right.
1: That's right. a very, yes, thank you, that's very good.
0: Yeah so so can you um share with people I- in a sense if we if we can't grapple with these four principles then it's it is as if we can't weave the foundation for ourselves to really stand there and co-create i mean that's kind of what i take from the first part of your book is that that understanding these principles which are really very practical ways of saying things that go back to, you know, really high spiritual principles that are shared in a lot of um, ancient texts, you know, but they're written here in ways we can actually use them, right, as humans. But talk a little bit about, you know, why these are so important to, to, to do, to grapple with, to, to live, or at least live as a hypothesis if you really want to co-create in your life.
1: Well, I, I think it's important to start to grasp these. I don't know, as a young person, that I could have fully grasped them, but I mm-hmm. certainly wish someone had written this book for me when I was in my <laughs> 20s. It would have been so helpful. <laughs> yeah. um, and I can only speak personally, Christina, that um, if I had understood that happiness is a choice, my life would have been so different um, mm-hmm. And perhaps internally it would have been different, maybe not so much externally, but in how it manifested but when when I was a young girl, my mother was um, she was an angry woman she was not um, very well balanced emotionally at all and since she was my role model, I became a person who was more who felt victimized by my emotions? Mm-hmm. I was very much at the the whim of what was going on around me and how I interpreted it, which was very, very colored by um, my upbringing. So, if I had started to understand that happiness is a choice that I could make, that w- that really would have shifted a whole a whole um, bunch of variables for me that I think would have been really helpful.
0: Yeah, Well, these four principles really confront, you know, as as I look at them again and again, they really confront a lot of what we are actually taught either directly or indirectly by our culture. Um, Mm -hmm. For example, being in the flow of manifestation brings you joy. You know, culturally, we're taught that that winning brings you joy, you know, getting it, you know, that not the process, but the, the arrival is what brings you joy. Whereas this is really talking about how, how I'm experiencing my life, you know, being in the flow of that manifestation, even if I'm years off from the creation of it will bring me joy. Not only the arrival at the, whatever it is, I think I want to co-create. And so I feel like in their, in their own subtle and very, graceful way, <laughs> these principles really undermine some of the really damaging uh, beliefs we do get culturally, as you said, because we're not actually taught how to choose our life and how to co-create. We're kind right. of taught to follow the program. We
1: are. We're taught to fit ourselves into a limited number of boxes.
0: Mm-hmm. And as
1: I think back, when I was in high school, I the, what was offered to me was well, you know, granted, I graduated in the seventies. I hope it's changed now. But what was offered to me is well, what do women do? They do social work. They do secretarial work. Maybe I could go into teaching. None of which sounded very attractive to me. And it took oh, quite a bit of effort to discover what was really out there because what had been presented to me was so limited.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah. And. And so often I think even what happens today is is we go to, we all want to go to college and within the college framework there's a limited number of selections and it's, um, it's difficult really for people who are not focused in, in that one specific area to understand what their full capabilities are.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Elida, let's talk a little bit about the structure of the book, and then we'll go back into the, the content of the book, because it's, 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 as I said, you know, you've engineered it really well. So, the first piece is talk a little bit about how the book, the format, the eight-week format of the book. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, I realize that so many of the books and the philosophy of how to create and how to manifest um, It's all done in a format that isn't very sustaining for the person who's learning it. So they'll read a book or they'll go to a lecture, and then they're left to figure out how to do it on their own. And through my research, I discovered that in order to really create a change in the brain, and that's really what we're having to do with, we adopt the, the... Philosophy of being a co-creator. We're asking our brain to make a major shift from being um, really a victim of circumstance or someone who's just going along with the flow, whatever that might present to them. Um, but being someone who can choose what they choose, what their vision is, and then manifest it. Um, so I realized that in order to create that permanent shift in the brain that they needed to work with this material consistently and persistently for about eight weeks. And um, so as I looked at that, I realized that I needed to supply, if I was really serious about helping people to make this leap, I needed to supply them with a way to do that. So the book is really the vehicle for the audio program. And the supportive audio program um, is uh designed so that each week there's the person who's reading the like the week one chapter does a morning and an evening audio session every day and then in week two it shifts over to the week two morning and evening and we go throughout the book that way until week eight um when they're on i just um played the drumming for them and they do a shamanic journey incorporating some of the principles on their own. So in the background of all of the audio programs, I have the shamanic drumming playing. And the reason that I do that is, well, there's many, um, but the primary one is to get people into that state of relaxation that the shamanic drumming brings people to which lowers them down into the alpha-beta brainwave stage and allows them to access different parts of their brain than they will access in their ordinary reality frame of mind. And as we know from our work in shamanism, whenever we get into that alpha state, we are then in in that creative state, and that is when the spirits the helping spirits, the divine, and the holy ones start to come through. But it's, there's such a um, such a difficulty in, in our world today with everyone so sped up and we're so technological and we've got so much information coming at us. We have to make room for this to happen on a regular basis if indeed we want to partner with the helping spirits. And the helping spirits, I truly believe, um, as we, as we are co-creators, they have a piece of how we can create a world that is more sustainable for us, and a and also they have the specific guidance for each person as they look to formulate who they want to become in this world, and. Um, so with all of those pieces, it just became really important to me that there be an audio program that supported people through this eight-week process.
0: And so just um, to be clear, everybody, so when you buy the book, the audio program is is included in that?
1: It is. So it's, it's all a big package. Yeah, it's available on my website, um, thecocreationhandbook.com. Good. So okay. um, there's a password that's in the book, and then they can go to the website and download it onto their iPod, or their. they can burn a CD. Um, and if they don't have that capability, they can write to me, and, and I can sell them a CD mm-hmm. of the, the three-CD set. Great. So it's quite extensive, and um, I'm I'm really pleased with how it came out because not only does it, teach people how to be a co-creator, but it also teaches them how to journey so that they have this wonderful skill that they can continue to use after they're done with the program.
0: Well, and as you said, it, it then continues to support and sustain them through the process versus, here's how you do it, have fun. <laughs> right, right.
1: And we all know how that works.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Okay, right. so let's talk a little bit, for the, the time that remains here, let's talk a little bit about... Um, the The book itself, uh, it's more the content of the book itself, because one of the things that you um, dive into is this notion of creating tension or this this creative tension that exists between um, what is and what we what we want. Um, so it's it's a it's a concept near and dear to my heart. So why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Um, so when Someone has a vision, and I do spend quite a bit of time helping people to understand how to create a vision. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's that's a difficulty many people have. I've seen many people freeze like deer in the headlights when you use the word vision. Um, So I spent quite a bit of time helping people to formulate a vision and helping to break it down into very small steps so that it could build in a very natural way. And I, I have a structure of how I look at the visioning process, which I think is really helpful to people, and that is um, once we have the vision, it's really important to tell the truth about our, our present moment, our observable present, our current reality, we have to have a place that we're leaving from um, we have to know where we are in order to go to where we want to go and this is one thing that i disagree with on the um, the folks who work with affirmations because i feel that the subconscious is a very intelligent part of us and the subconscious believes everything we tell it and we it, it's always observing and always watching what's going on. So if we have an affirmation that says, I live in a beautiful house, and the subconscious sees that we live in an apartment, the subconscious is going to have to make a choice, which is, oh, well, I see the apartment. There, there's, this is not true that I live in a beautiful house. Mm-hmm. So using affirmations, in that way, I feel is not helpful because it sets up a um a disagreement between the subconscious and um the person who's trying to work with making changes
0: and so there's kind of a like, joke out there that you know affirmations are a lie we tell ourselves until it's true, but mm-hmm. that's false that in and of itself <laughs> is a lie <laughs> and 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 it just it just sort of promotes this this um, ungrounded use of affirmations, which is, like you said, it's it, it, it doesn't operate well in and of itself because, as you said, you're looking around at reality and your being is saying, but that's not true. You know, lying to yourself is never a very effective path forward.
1: Right. And, in fact, it can lead you into a little bit of instability emotionally, sure. you know. sure. Okay. So what I feel is important is to tell the truth about what's really going on in our lives. And as much as we are able, I mean, we, we can't see everything 100%, but we can identify some things about what's not happening for us. And then as we look at our vision, we hold those two simultaneously in our mind. That I want to live in a beautiful house. I live in an apartment today. And by holding those two simultaneously, we then create a tension between the two that is not a, a stressor in a bad way, but it creates um, a dissonance that really focuses the mind on, well, how do I get there? How do I get to that endpoint that I'm striving for. It's like there's this rubber band between the vision and the observable present. And there's a tension with the rubber band, and we can either choose to continue focusing on our vision, which will draw you towards the vision because your mind and your subconscious will begin to find ways to get you there, or what I often see happening with people when they get into that, um, that creative tension, they then they then allow it to slip over into psychological stress, which is oh this this is causing me problems. I'm not there. So they they start to turn it into an emotional turmoil, and then their response is to compromise on their vision and allow the vision to slip more towards current reality, which is oh I guess it's okay to live in this apartment. It's not so bad. Um, so in order to stay out of the psychological stress, what I encourage people to do is to focus on the vision, focus on their observable presence, feel that creative tension, and then let it go. And by letting it go, what I, in my frame of reference, I send it out to the universe, I send it out to the helping spirits, and I might send it out with a, a request that they assist me in in working on getting to the vision, but I trust that things are going to start to line up that will get me to that vision, and they do. I've had amazing experiences with this, and very small, synchronistic things happen too. So it's really about uh, an overarching understanding that As above, so below, as within, so without, if I hold that tension and then give it back to the universe, the universe will start to respond to me.
0: And so then that that moves into some of the other principles you're talking about, which is that that how do I close that gap becomes the question. And like you said, you have to ask the question. You have to ask for help for the help to come. Mm -hmm. You
1: have to ask for help. That is so, so important. We have to work with the spirits, work with the universe in a way that the universe really understands clearly what, we, what it is that we want to create, and having that clarity is really what allows the universe to respond.
0: This is, I think this is a big piece of misunderstanding for people because they don't actually understand boundaries and free will and all of these other things is, mm-hmm. is that we have to ask because that is the invitation. It gives the help permission to come to us. Right. We're not right. going to be rescued.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, as one of my teachers once said that the one thing that God doesn't have that is needed from us is to ask.
0: Mm-hmm. He has to have our need. Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so then another piece in the book that I like is that your book is not as as so many of these books are focused exclusively on Christina's personal vision for her personal happiness in life but that 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 there is um in uh, encouragement to develop a vision for our life and the world. Yes. Definitely.
1: Yeah, really, my, that's my motivation for writing the book because I feel that we are in a situation now where we're seeing some, we're really questioning whether our planet is going to survive in its current form, you know, with us on it, um, into future generations. And I believe that if all of us are, are able to step into the role of co-creating and we understand how to vision and how to bring um healing and harmony into our lives and the lives of the planet that we'll be able to make tremendous change and i i also firmly believe that each one of us has a special gift whether we know it or not each one of us is here for a purpose and as we as we join into the circle of others and bring our special gifts and we, we are able to recognize and build upon what each other brings, then we have a much better opportunity to heal the planet and to create a world that's sustainable for all.
0: So Alida, talk a little bit about your perspective of the value of solitude in this in this.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, In the book, I call it turning within. I talk about expanding outward and turning within. And so much of our culture is about expanding outward. You know, capitalism is founded on expanding outward and continuing to buy things, continuing to do things, continuing, etc. So, when we turn within, a very interesting thing happens. Um, We are able to quiet ourselves so that we can hear the inner voice we can we can connect with what is truly important to us we are not a um, we are no longer being bombarded by the media which is encouraging us to buy things and to have a job make money buy things you know that that cycle
0: um,
1: and we create a A place for ourselves where the spirits can come through more clearly and um, if we do that then what happens is we get more in tune with what it is that we want to create what's truly important to us not what something else is saying to us not what someone else is saying to us but what is truly important to us and I there's so many ways to turn within on a regular basis. And in our world today, we can, of course, do the more exaggerated forms, which are like the vision quest, where we go away for three to seven days and sit out in the woods. Or we can do something more um, minor, but perhaps more on a regular basis, where we might just turn the TV off, or we might um, have a, a day without technology, no phone, no email, um, and we might also find ways um, perhaps a day without food where we fast or do a moderated fast depending on what we're able to do but just to minimize our usual patterns and when when we break through our normal patterns of how we live our day it shakes up how we see the world we're able to look and see things differently and perceive things differently because we are being different. And that is when we start to get the inspirations that um, that we need to focus on to change things.
0: So, Elida, we have just a couple minutes here, but I'm wondering if you could, could talk to us just a bit about maintaining the flow of all of this with acknowledgement and blessings.
1: Oh, yes. Um, Well, I did an experiment about, I don't know if I have time to talk about the beans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did an experiment. I had heard about this in a a couple of different ways. I thought I'd try it. Um, I planted in little pots four sets of beans, and I gave each one a different message. I think one I gave it, I just blessed it, one I told it had to be a, a... Create a certain amount of beans and a certain amount of branches. It had to, other, other words, it had to produce results. Um, another one, I just thought good thoughts at, and the other one, the last one, I um, I sensed that the message that it was really no good, that it was uh, just a horrible bean plant, and that, by the <laughs> way, is really difficult for me to do. But um, I did this for, I think it was three weeks, and. I was really stunned by the results. just sending the messages to the bean plants. And I had them protected so that nothing could interfere with them except me sending them those thoughts. They got the same amount of water, the same amount of sunlight. And I was really stunned to see that the beans that were given the, you know, you're a horrible bean sprout, and also the beans that were told to produce at a particular rate, they were definitely stunted. And the, the best result came from the bean sprout that was simply blessed. And um, I know in my own life that when we when we bless things, that it create and acknowledge things, that it creates a flow. It's like a giving and a taking, that when we are in gratitude for what we have received, um, then there's a flow. There's a flow of energy that goes out and sustains and, and feeds that which fed us so that it's a complete cycle. And that, that is what I, is so important in the visioning process is that we acknowledge and bless others. Um, we acknowledge and bless our helping spirits. We acknowledge and bless this beautiful planet we're on. And then it, in turn, blesses and acknowledges us.
0: Thank you, Elida. And thank you for writing your book. And just to remind everyone, it's the Co-Creation Handbook, A Shamanic Guide to Manifesting a Better World and a More Joyful Life. And tell us, Elida, again, um, is the co- is the website just for downloading or is there more information about the book on it?
1: There's more information on the book.
0: And give us that website again.
1: It's um, com. Lovely. And co creation of C O apostrophe C R E A T I O N.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Elida, for joining us today.
1: Thank you. I, I loved being on your show. <laughs> and blessings to your show.
0: Thank you. And so we give thanks to the ancestors for gathering around for the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. And I, uh, after promising for months, I have to say I did finally um, update the website at lastmaskcenter.org. And you can register for any of the upcoming classes either through the calendar portion of the website or there'll be a link if you need to register somewhere else. But it's all up and ready to go. Um, we have uh, dream the Dream Conference in the Bahamas in January, Ancestral Healing here in Portland in March. And, of course, uh, Massive Illusion, The Authentic Self, The Cycle Teachings begin again in July of this year. So thank you everyone for listening this week and I strongly encourage you to buy yourself an extra holiday gift and get um, Elida's book for yourself and your own co-creation in 2015. Welcome to the new year everyone.